What's going on, guys? You are listening to the Lens Culture Photography Podcast, hosted by myself, Jonathan Pajak. And I just want to let you guys know the purpose of this podcast is to help all of you guys, photographers, videographers in this awesome industry, grow your business. That is the main purpose here. If you want to access anything I reference in this episode, be sure to head down to the show notes of the episode for additional information. Enough talking, let's get right into it. Today we are talking all about how to get started in film photography. This is a podcast episode I've been meaning to do for a few months now, uh, mainly because I have been diving so deep back into film photography. I don't know really what started it for me. It was definitely like a vacation that made me like... I don't really want to pack a lot of gear, so let me like try to like just bring a film camera. Um, they got me getting into this at all, but I wanted to go over like how some other people can get into film photography. I feel like it's like a weird um, topic to talk about because some people are just like, "What's the point of it of doing film photography anymore when digital is so much more cost effective, easier to master?" Um, but I think there's a lot of points in film photography that are amazing. So that's what we're going to talk about today, guys. It's episode number fifty-eight on the podcast today um and i'm super pumped to talk about it there's various different like things though that go into it though it's not just like one said and done conversation of like this is what you should do but i want to start about like why even get started with film photography what is what's the point what is the reasoning are people paying for it whatever um i will say film photography is just classic Anybody over the age of 25, um, 27 even, honestly, obviously in their 30s, will understand that, like, their parents, you know, had, like, little point-and-shoot film cameras, you know, before the, like, little baby digital cameras that your family would have. Um, And the classicness of film photography has always just been really enjoyable. Um, People seeing those film photos back in the day when they were kids, it makes them wonder, like, how cool some of those photos would look now, and sometimes they even want to, you know, take photos of their kids or their friends and family. Um, So that's definitely, I think, how film photography has gotten popular again, was just, like, the classicness of it. But also, like, I bring this up a lot when I have, like, mentor sessions. Um, Digital photography, because of how much flexibility there is in post with digital files and raw files and being able to manipulate colors and light. Um, A lot of times people will be very aggressive with their editing to try to, you know, work harder to stand out within their market. They will, you know, over edit sometimes, maybe oversaturate skin tones and colors or completely just change what an image would look like. And that's how we create our styles, right? Everybody has their styles, whether you're a light and airy photographer, uh, dark and moody, maybe true to color, maybe a decontrasted photographer, Um, It all depends. And we create our styles with raw images, being able to move those colors. But with the barriers to entry in this industry much lower than they've ever been, it is so easy to get a used Canon Rebel camera or Sony a7 III camera now on Facebook Marketplace even for like 500 bucks. And there's so much information online that our competition is higher and there is more ways that people are trying to stand out within their market outside of just like, um, you know, facets of your business, client experience, stuff like that. So as far as your photos, a lot of people work really hard to create looks and editing styles that stand out amongst others in their market, which sometimes can lead them to over editing digital files or over editing photos and, and getting lost and not knowing like who they are as like, um, you know, as a you know, style wise, like what style they appeal to. Um, and film photography kind of takes that away a little bit because even if you go through a, a specific lab and they give you the biggest file they can give you, the flexibility you have with the colors is still going to be limited no matter what, because it's still at the end of the day, 
your film stock is your sensor. So everybody is if everybody's shooting on Portra 400, yes, each camera and the lens you use is gonna it's gonna render different colors and different light and stuff like that. Um, but in essence, the film stock is the sensor. So with that said, those colors are kind of baked in. Even if you get your largest TIFF files you can get um, from labs that will process your film for you. So there's definitely um, a consistency with it as well. So you can tell like when you see somebody shooting on like Fuji stock that like the greens are going to be very vibrant. Fuji really plays into the greens. Um, with Kodak like 400, Portrait 400, like the warm tones are really emphasized. So like playing with those warm tones is very popular. Um, but there's just a nostalgia with film. People love shooting on it, um, especially especially for like personal stuff. But I think it's really making a comeback in portraits in the wedding industry because it's bringing people back down to that like beautiful classic base color. So nothing's oversaturated, overexposed, or over edited and tweaked. But everything's brought back down to that like base beautiful color. And I think having a mix of it is really great. I don't know many people that are like exclusively filmed because it is expensive. Um, but I know a lot of people that are definitely hybrid um, where they shoot, you know, 200, 300 photos on film to 300, 400 photos on digital, um, obviously being much cheaper on digital. Um, but yeah, I would say that another good reason people love shooting on film is just it slows you down. Uh, with film, you know, you can't put it on high burst mode and hold your finger on it for, you know, 10 seconds as the bride's walking down the aisle. Whereas with digital, that doesn't really cost you that much extra. I mean, you could, I guess, factor in like depreciation on your camera because, you know, after you take a, you know, 2 million photos on your shutter, you probably have to get that replaced. But it definitely slows you down, you know, with 120 film, um, I'm going to go more in detail on this later in the episode, but 120 film having, you know, 16 frames and 35 millimeter film having, you know, 32 to 36 frames, you only have X amount of photos that you can really work with. So like just spraying and praying really doesn't, um, it's not helpful when you're shooting on film at all. It definitely will help you stand out in the market a little bit, as long as there is a demand for your product. Obviously in certain markets, maybe some people won't value having film photos because they just want their images as quick as possible and they just want the normal digital files they always see. But some people want that like old classic style vintage nostalgia. So you could stand out in your market. Um, if nobody else is doing it and maybe you market it really well, because that's the thing too, is like just adding it onto your price sheet, never posting about the, the shoot film or showing the final product of film photos th that you've captured may not get people to be like, oh, I want that. So definitely if you are going to offer it, I would say definitely make some Instagram posts about it, have a section on your website about it, stuff like that. Um, but also at the end of the day, it's just another avenue for clients to hire you. Um for that specific service or as an add-on to your already services that you're doing. So, cause you could easily be like, Hey, like this is my price for eight hours of wedding day coverage, all digital. If you wanted to add X roll of film, um, I can guarantee 70 photos at this price or something like that. And maybe that's just like an add-on. They're like, Oh, that's cool. They offer that. Let's just, let's do it. Um, but that brings me into like, let's get back to like the getting started aspect. So those are the reasons why you would want to, um, but buying your first camera can be kind of intimidating for some because, there's so many film cameras. They were produced for so long. Um, for so, so Everybody's household had like one or two laying around. And you can pretty much find any of them, a bunch of them in thrift stores. But what makes them good? Because at the end of the day, like I said, they're all, depending on your film stock, we're all shooting on the same film stock if everybody was shooting on Portrait 400, for example. Um, but the features in cameras can really help. You know what I mean? Like 
maybe the button layouts, how large it is, any automatic features, stuff like that can definitely over definitely help as well. My first thing I would say is definitely don't overspend. Um, overspending when you're getting into something like this, I think is not really an educated choice because you don't know if you're going to love it, you're going to like it. Um, and these film cameras are definitely coming back in style, especially as like, you know, famous people keep including them in like their music videos and in their Instagram posts. Um, like the Contax T3 was like, I think like $1,200 before like Kylie Jenner and like Drake had it in a music video. Now it's like $2,800 cause the demand for it went a lot higher. Um, but don't overspend at all on any style of, of film camera. But you have to kind of understand the difference in film sizes before deciding on like um, which film stock you want to use. And also just like the easy use of it. Because the film stock sizes can, can play a huge role. The most popular I see is 35 millimeter film, which is your smallest, I think, that's offered, I believe. Um, and then 120 film is very popular. There's obviously larger film sheets than that, but not a lot of people get into big 4x5 sheets because it's just a lot more expensive and some places won't even process it for you. 35mm and 120 is definitely the most popular film stocks um, on the market today. Accessibility, you can still find some in some stores, and then also just like processing and having it developed by labs around you. Um, 35 millimeter is definitely the most popular. I think is because they, there's the most amount of cameras and there's so many used ones that are just like, like I said, sitting inside of like thrift stores and stuff like that. Like you could probably go to your local Goodwill right now. And if it's a larger Goodwill, I bet you'd find at least one 35 millimeter film camera, whether it's an automatic or whatever. Um, but you'd probably find one. So that gets me into the advantages and disadvantages of the film stock, film stock specifically. 35 millimeter film is a smaller negative, so it's going to be less information. Think about it like a, a crop sensor or a micro four-thirds sensor. You're going to get a little bit less depth of field, a little bit less information, um, but you do get the advantage of having you know um, more images on the roll because it is smaller. So most film stocks that are 35 millimeter will get anywhere between like 32 to 36 um, uh, negatives, so 36 to 32 photos. Um, 120 film, on the other hand, will only get about 16, sometimes 15 on certain stocks. Um, but the negative is much larger and it has way more depth and the detail in it is better. I find that I like the color rendition of my 120 film a little bit better. Or I'm sorry, I find I like the color rendition of my 35 millimeter film a little bit better than my 120. But the detail in the 120 and the depth is much superior, in my opinion. Um, but it kind of goes down to like, what type of shoots are you going to be doing? If you're running gunning and you don't have time and you don't want to carry on a bigger camera or like dedicate like one of your, you know, your camera straps to a 120 film camera, um, I would say stick with like the smaller 35 millimeter films. Um, if you're doing like, you know, planned out model shoots, I would say, yeah, do the bigger film stock because it's, you know, not rushed. You could take your time a little bit more. Um, maybe for wedding days and stuff like that, where it's like event style coverage until you get good at utilizing your 120 film camera um, and also just carrying that on a larger camera. I would say stick with the 35 millimeter film cameras just because they're faster, quicker. They come in a lot more options as far as um, automaticness too, which is really nice. So that gets me into kind of like my next topic on this is like the difference in the styles of cameras. Um, I I would personally suggest if you're going to buy your very first camera to get into a point and shoot camera. A point and shoot film camera are they're much cheaper online than like all fully manual cameras, um, and you don't have to auto wind the film as, or you don't have to manually wind the film between shots. It'll just do it for you. 
some of my favorites being like the Olympus stylus ones. Um, the contacts are nice, but they are expensive. Um, so I would say avoid those first. And then if you start loving your point and shoot, I would say, yeah, you could upgrade to like a nicer point and shoot. That's like a better lens. Um, but the Olympus stylus is a great one. Um, I'm going to leave a few links in the description below as well to kind of like look and find a my favorite film stocks, but also just like cameras I would recommend on like eBay and stuff like that. Um, but point and shoot film cameras are great because you set nothing. Some of them will just say like you could pick like the the setting you're in, whether it's like sunny, cloudy or if you want like the flash to go on. Um, everything will auto from there. It'll have like a minimum focusing distance that you have to be so you can't get like too close. And then you just put it in the setting it is. So if you're outside and it's sunny and you're shooting on Portrait 400, um, you would just put it on sunny and click take the photo. Every camera though is going to have uh, like a setting where you'll you'll click the ISO that you will have to to adjust. Um, some will do it automatically based off like the DX code that's on the the canister in the camera, um, but a majority of them you would just set when you put it in. So if you if you were putting in Portrait 400, you would put Portrait 400 in the camera, set it to 400, and then set you know, whatever daylight conditions you're in, and then it'll automatically select your shutter speed, your aperture, stuff like that to keep everything exposed properly and in focus. Um, so if you're doing anything where it's like you're moving around and it's like a moving shot, I would say maybe avoid doing that in the like darker times of the days or nights, unless you're going to use the flash so you can get some more light in there so the shutter speed's a little faster. So after point-and-shoot cameras, you may want to upgrade. Who knows? Um, but you might want to go to like an SLR camera. Um, that's for a single... Um, um, lens reflection so it's just a bounces off of a mirror these are i think are the next step up over point shoots because you get to see exactly what your lens is seeing um since that that, that image is bouncing through a mirror normally they have faster shutter speeds um and then they have a longer i would say a little bit larger of i don't say longer learning curve because you have to kind of understand that um or this one is a shorter learning curve because you kind of understand what the camera is going to do based off of if you've shot digital before because it's kind of the same thing except the fact that you're not being able to review that image um, on the back of the camera after you take it these will normally have a lot more manual controls some of them will have like um auto aperture or auto shutter speed and stuff like that um and maybe you could set like you want your shutter speed to 250 and then you just set the aperture to auto and it'll just like adjust for you I find myself shooting at higher apertures when I shoot film because I just want to make sure I nail the focus. Um, so normally like f4 or above. I have a lens that goes down f1.4 and every time I shoot it that low and even take my time to focus, no majority of the time I'm missing it um, unless they're a little bit farther away. So I normally stay above f4 at the least f2.8 um, just so I can make sure all my shots are in focus. Then you also have what's called a rangefinder camera. These you don't see what the lens sees. So you're looking through an optical um, like a viewfinder, but you're not seeing what the lens sees because there's no mirror. So once you take that photo, the image is processed through the lens. So you're getting like um, a, a somewhat of a visual represent representation of what your lens is seeing, but you're not actually getting to see it. Most of them will have like an 80 to 87% coverage of what you're seeing. So when you look through the viewfinder, you'll be able to see like 80 to 85% of what the frame is actually going to capture. These normally have slower shutter speeds. Um, it just happens with range finders. I think it's because of the build quality and also the size of them. And there's a little bit longer of a learning curve because sometimes like with a range finder, like you can have your finger in front of the, like, the lens of the camera and have no clue um, because you're not seeing what the lens is seeing. You're just seeing through an optical thing. Um, but the one thing you want to make sure that anything where you have are setting things manually has is like a motion, uh, uh, 
an exposure meter that's either automatic or like a button to activate it. That way you can understand the lighting scenarios um, and what you should be exposing on the camera if you're going to shoot in manual, which eventually you will. Even if it has automatic, you're going to want to switch to manual just to be able to get more of a look that you desire. Some photographers like having their film shots overexposed a little bit to, you know, get more light in there. Um, so you would shoot like a stop or a half a stop over than what the meter is, you know, telling you to do. And these are all uh, reflective meters as well. So you, if you're shooting like hybrid, you could easily just take your camera out, put it on f2.8. Let's say you're the, you're shooting on portrait 400, put it on ISO 400, and then it, you know, put your shutter speed automatic, and it'll tell you what your shutter speeds be on your camera. And then you could just take those settings and put those right onto your, your film camera, and you'll be good to go. Because the, the, um, the obviously the meter is much more the exposure meter is much more accurate in our modern day digital cameras than they were in these like super old um film cameras um but you also have to understand like what's the best time to shoot with what film stock because certain film stocks shoot better in certain situations like a higher um, iso film um, will shoot good at night at night especially if you want like more grain in the image but you can also shoot a higher iso film during the day but like i said it's just going to have more grain in the image but really this goes hand in hand with like understanding the ISO of your film because with our digital cameras, we're so used to being able to change our ISO as quickly as we'd like to um, in the camera and as having like a wide range of being able to choose from what we want to um, pick from. Um, but with film, it's a preset number. So if you're, let's for example, you're shooting on um, Portra 180, that's 180 ISO film. It's going to have a little less grain because it's lower on that scale. Um, but if you're shooting anything like after sunlight, you're not really going to be able to expose for it probably because that's that film stock doesn't have a lot of light, doesn't have a lot of light sensitivity. Whereas if you're shooting at like Portra 800 for the reception, let's say of a wedding, you could introduce, you know, much more light in the camera and then have like maybe a small flash that gives you a little bit of extra light. Um, but that, that lighting is preset based on the ISO. And yes, you could overexpose it, so you can like you know set your meter. Most manual cameras, you'll be able to put like I want the meter to expose for one stop over, and it'll give you an exposure reading for like one stop over. So it'll find like what it should be, and then it'll just add one stop over, um, and that gives you a little bit more of a, like a lighter, airy kind of vibe with your film photos. Um, but like I said, ISO of the film is preset, and the color rendition is preset as well. Obviously, this can change a little bit based on like the lens I was saying, and like that that side of, side that side of things um, but the color and the color rendition is normally preset with the ISO film um, and then just lastly cost um, 120 film is right roughly around like the same price if you get it on a good discount but you're getting half the images um, but you're getting more information so it's like a pick or choose thing that's why I normally recommend starting off with 35 millimeter because you get 36 32 shots in the roll as opposed to 16 so you have way more flexibility to learn more um, put more rolls of, of film through your camera and just get better in various lighting conditions and locations um, and that kind of brings me into my next topic. Like, let's say you've been shooting and you picked up a film camera, whether it's a point and shoot or an SLR or rangefinder, whichever you're doing. Um, I would say look for around, I would go for around 20 rolls total of film, whether it's 35 mil or 120 of practice before you start offering it to clients. You really want to be comfortable in shooting that film in various lighting conditions outside, direct sunlight indoors like with all the lights turned off and you know maybe natural light coming through a window stuff like that um that that way when you are offering it and you're taking money from clients you actually know okay i know that this shot i have portrait 400 in my camera it's not going to look that good because there's no windows here there's a bunch of tungsten light like it's not going to be a good image because you're introducing orange light 
to a daylight balance film. So it's just like learning that type of stuff will be really crucial in justifying price points when you're giving these as a collection or package option for your clients. Um, and then also just play around with a bunch of film stocks, like understanding what you like the most. I mean, the most common are definitely like 180 film. Um, Portrait 400 is probably the most purchased film um, in, in the in the U.S. at least. Um, and then a lot of Fuji films and Kodak films are obviously the, the number one leaders. I would say just toy around with a bunch, um, figure out which ones you like the most. My first roll of film I ever shot was actually in Greece, and it was on like a cheaper um, a cheaper Kodak color film. It was a, a, a 400 ISO. And those are still to date some of my favorite images. And I and I took those on like a $25 like Sears film camera that I think went up to only 500 shutter speed. Like nothing crazy. But they're still some of my favorite photos. Um, this kind of brings me into my next step, which kind of goes like as far as the cost goes. Um, there's multiple different places you can develop this film. Um, I use Coastal Film Lab um, and also Legacy Film Lab. But The Dark Room is another really popular one. If you have somebody in your area, it can be nice to go down there and, you know, say what's up, like ask about their offerings, like and stuff like that and, and get a feel for like how they like to process their film. Um, and then also, like I would say the biggest thing is ask if they take reference images. If you're trying to work this into your wedding like workflow or portrait workflow, I would say taking because in essence, they are the editor of the file because when they scan these images and process these images, they're making like color tweaks and then sending them to you. And a lot of times if you're doing like the TIFF files, which are the highest, you know, resolution and flexibility files, you can still mess with some of the colors on your end in Lightroom. Um, but a majority of those colors are kind of baked in once they deliver them to you. So if you can show them like an image of yours from like your normal digital portfolio and be like, I really lean into the greens or I love magentas or I like my skin tones to be oversaturated they can kind of you know build a profile on you so that when you are developing color film they're like okay this client likes this to be like this and they edit it kind of in that way so that um it, it seamlessly integrates with your um with your workflow um and then also the last thing is just like figuring out how you want to deliver these images i would say for me when i first when i'm when i'm starting to offer them as a paid add-on i'm going to be delivering them all in in print form format i think that i'd like to keep keeping your digital files digital and the film photos in a print format delivered with like, I don't know, like a white border or something. It looks so much more be or so beautiful compared to the digital files that I think prints are the way to go. But you could also just upload them into your gallery and, you know, have them under photo of like these are film stock on shot on X film stock. That way they kind of know um, and maybe they'll post about it or something like that. But that is all I have for you guys today. I hope you enjoyed this episode on film photography and how to get started with it. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out on my Instagram or shoot me a DM. Um, like I said below, I'm, like I said, I'm going to have a link down below with my favorite film stocks and also like cameras I, I would recommend for beginners intermediate advanced kind of just depends on uh, how much you want to spend and how much you think you're gonna love it but thanks for listening to this week's episode i'll see you guys next week